Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you. It's great to see the, the weather starting to perk up again, getting some of that springtime. And looking forward to, uh, to sharing with you tonight one of, one of my favorite passages from the book of Ephesians together. And if you want to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 3. And reading from verse 14 tonight, Ephesians is in the New Testament which is the, the second part of the Bible, the smaller bit, the bit where everything that's expected and promised and pictured is, is fulfilled. And in Ephesians 3, uh, we're reading a prayer. And this is written by Paul, a, a, an apostle, a missionary, who is writing to this church that he helped to start, and he's reminding them of what God has done in their lives. And then he prays here in verse 14. Hear the word of God. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time we get to share with one another and with You. We ask that Your Spirit would bring fresh light uh, to our hearts as we spend this time in your word, that you would bless each one of us with a greater understanding of your love and a greater capacity to make that love uh, a part of how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a, a joy to, to worship with you tonight. You are, are blessed with uh, fine musicians, and uh, just a lovely uh, atmosphere of worship in this place tonight. I just want to say how blessed I was by your, your songs. And uh, I'm encouraged, too, to hear about this offering that you've, you've given to uh, this morning as the Lord led you. It's wonderful to hear of, of generous churches and to know the heart that you have to invest in the kingdom of God and what God's doing in Airdrie and, and beyond. So I, I just want to say way to go and... Keep on doing what God gives you to do here. He needs, well, he doesn't need us, but he's chosen to include us and, and in a sense to, to give us genuine responsibility for his work in the, in the place where he puts us. So what you're doing matters, and please keep it up. As we look uh, tonight at this passage, I want to begin by some comments about the Christian life. The Christian life is, is not a matter of you doing something for God, though, as I've mentioned, those things are, are important, those things are 
something we celebrate, but that's not the, the substance of the Christian life. That is the fruit of the Christian life. And there is a world of difference. The Christian life is, is fundamentally God doing something for you in Christ. Not you doing something for Him, but God doing something for you. And, and then we find something else to be true, that in our, in our Christian life, for it to be full, these two extremes need to be brought together. On, on the one hand is uh, an intellectual knowledge and maybe the spiritual practices that we do and, and the things that constitute what we know and, and how we behave in the Christian life and how we seek to cultivate it uh, externally. And it, it can at times be very much an exercise of, of naked faith and, and just persevering faithfulness. Do you think we need that in our Christian life? Absolutely. And yet, is that all there is to it? Uh, th that, that can be an extreme sometimes that we, we camp there and we miss out on something else. And, and that would be much uh, of what we've read here tonight where Paul is praying for a church, not simply that they would have it knowledge in their heads, uh, but that they would experience what that knowledge means in their hearts. And, and yet, the idea of experience in the Christian life can be something that we might chase after, chasing after more and greater spiritual experiences. And, and you can have a spirituality that's defined by your feelings or the latest spiritual high that you had. And neither of these extremes is healthy. Uh, but to bring them together is powerful, where you have that life of faith, and sometimes it's, it's, you're in a dry patch, but you're in good company and you keep going. And you know that's not all there is, but faith all by itself is important. And, and yet, there's believing that the church is, as Ephesians teaches, it's the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And we're not talking about a building. When the Bible uses the word church, church buildings didn't exist. It's talking about the people. That we together are a place where God draws near and actually dwells. And if he dwells there, there must be a, more than a knowing, but an experience. And that's what Paul is praying for here today, that, that this church in Ephesus, and, and by extension, that we would know this love of God that is something that defines what love really is. It's, it's a, a bold, uh, in the Bible's, description. It's a scandalous love that strips away our excuses to stay away from God and, and pulls us in and holds us near. And it's, it's my prayer for all of us that we would know this love more as we reflect on it here tonight and, and take these words on our lips as our own prayer for the church. Well, we begin in verse 14 where uh, Paul says, "...for this reason I kneel before the Father." from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And, and kneeling is, is a metaphor. What is he talking about? He's praying. And uh, we see kneeling as a, a symbol of prayer in the life of Solomon. Uh, Daniel, who kneeled three times a day at, at his window and, and faced Jerusalem. We see Jesus himself kneeling in prayer. And, and sometimes the posture that we assume helps our heart to find the right attitude in prayer. And you may want to try kneeling if you don't ordinarily 
do and, and see if that, how that affects your, your, your own heart attitude. It can be helpful. But he's kneeling before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now notice, he says, for this reason. And if you go back 13 verses to verse 1 of chapter 3, he, he said the same thing there. He said, for this reason. And he begins to say something. And, and then he actually appears to get distracted. And it looks as though he was going to start this prayer and explaining it um, 13 verses earlier, and he remembered something else he wanted to tell them. And, and the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Scripture is, is working through Paul's humanity here in, in a remarkable way. And so those verses in between are important, but then he, he picks up, he's like, oh yeah, I was going to pray, verse 14, for this reason. And if you've ever been distracted when you were praying, has anyone, like if we did a show of hands... I'm sure it would be a pretty high number of people. Don't you, don't you feel that you're in good company to see? Apparently, Paul did too. And sometimes those distractions are even, God can use them sovereignly too, and then bring you back. So don't be too discouraged by it. But he gets to his prayer, and he's praying for this reason. What is the reason? It's everything he's been saying in the previous chap, two and a half chapters, which is what God has done for us, rescuing us, choosing us, raising us from spiritual death, placing us spiritually already in heaven with Christ, and all these blessings, all of this gives him a reason to pray. Now, we need to know that our prayers, like Paul's prayer here, they need to be based on what God has spoken and what he's already done. And, and Paul's referring to the truth about God as the basis for his prayer. And when you pray, you have confidence, you have direction in your prayers when it's based on what God says, and sometimes beginning by reading Scripture and then turning that into a prayer in a way, in your own words, saying, God, for this reason, because you've said this, I pray this, can give incredible weight and power and, and spiritual depth to your prayers. And he's praying to the Father, from whom, whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And it's, he's literally talking about the, the fatherhood of God, that if you have a a little footnote in your Bible. You know how sometimes there's a little letter next to the verse and, and you look at the bottom and there's a footnote. Uh, most of our NIV Bibles, if you're using that, have a footnote there and it says the Greek for family, patria, is derived from the Greek for father, pater. So when he prays, I kneel before the father, pater, from whom every family, patria, in heaven and on earth derives its name, he's saying that he's the true father above all that is called Father in heaven and on earth. He's, he's saying that human fatherhood isn't just sort of a picture to, to give you, well, here's a, here's a little bit of what God is like. He's like a father. No, human fathers get their identity from God who is the truest and the best father and the original father. And every other father is, is kind of a knockoff of him. And, and some of us are, are pretty... pretty uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a range of fathers, isn't there? And some of us have had difficult or, or, or bad fathers. Some of us have had pretty good fathers. And we, in a sense, set those images aside to see that God is a father unlike any other. He's the ultimate and the first father. And what is he like? He's praying that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And he's praying for God to give, the literal language there is that God would give you strength. And one of the things we need to know about God is that he is a giver. 
And I mentioned, it's been mentioned how you're a giving church tonight. You're giving as a reflection of your Father. That He is a God who gives. And that when you have a need, and you go to God with that need, you need to know that He's not somebody you need to wrestle help from. But He loves to give. He loves to give. And to give especially strength through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. There's a lot of theology packed into these verses. What is he talking about? Well, first of all, how does he give? It says, out of his, see the words there, his glorious riches. God is not giving out of poverty, and he's not giving out of stinginess. He's giving out of riches. And you need to know that's the kind of father you have tonight. Strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants to strengthen you tonight. And again, if, if we were to see inside of everyone's hearts here, how strong are you tonight? Some of us would say, well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty strong. Others of us, we've, we've come in here tonight and we feel like we're just at the end of our strength. And the truth is that all of us need to be strengthened by God. And sometimes we just forget it. But he wants to strengthen us, and he does it not by some sort of force that comes, not by even sending an angel to strengthen us primarily, but it's, it's by his own spirit. Do, do you get how significant that is? That, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, comes to you tonight to strengthen you in every area where you feel your weakness. That he loves you and he cares for you. And he doesn't just send some messenger, but he comes personally to give you his, his mighty strength out of his glorious riches in your inner being. And we can be strong on the outside, but God knows that where we need strength is at the depth of our being, at the core of who we are, where we have been broken through relationships, through experiences, through disappointments, through our own failures and sins. And we're weak. And that's where we need to be strengthened. And that's where he comes to you, to strengthen you. And, and then he, he says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And, and this is actually just another way of saying again that he would strengthen you. Because when he strengthens you, what he's doing is this. That he's, he's putting more of Jesus into you. More of Christ into your, your innermost being. And and it's, it's kind of a, what does this mean? Because when you receive Christ, didn't you receive all of him? Did you just receive a bit and you're going to get a bit more? Well, he's all there, but there's something about our capacity, I suppose, that can grow. Something about the reality of him dwelling in us that, that can always increase more because he's bigger than anything. And he can dwell in us more and more and more. I love that, that verse. Have you ever read in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says that our, our outer man is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. And I wonder what would happen uh, for you tonight just to experience something of your inner, inner person being renewed, being strengthened, Christ dwelling there even more.
And what happens as he does? He talks about being rooted and grounded in love. And do you know that the roots of trees are what gives them their strength? This January, I was, I was back in Canada, and I was in the city of Abbotsford, and I was walking in a park there, and I, I was trying to figure out why there were bits of trees, huge branches, and even entire trees laying on the ground in this park. And some of them had, had been completely uprooted. And the story was that some days previously, there had been a, an ice storm where so much frozen rain fell and landed on the trees and didn't go beyond that. It just froze onto the trees. That They just came apart, and some of them were even uprooted by the weight of the ice on them. And you know, here in, in Airdrie and Lanarkshire, some of the storms that, that we get in this area, they're powerful enough to not only pull some trees apart, but to, but to topple them and uproot them because they get tested. But here he's talking about being rooted. How are we being rooted? Like, like those trees that in some parts of even of this country, there are trees that are, they've been there through all the ice storms, through all the wind storms for hundreds of years, and they're enormous, and the roots are so deep, and they're not going anywhere. And that's what this is, is talking about in your life, that you're rooted, and what is it that's holding you steady? What's the word here? Rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. And some of us in this, this past month or this past week or maybe in the last while, you've been shaken and you've been in a position where it felt like, it feels like branches are coming off, feels like I might be uprooted. What's going on in my life? And it may have been outer circumstances. It may have been something just on the inside. And what's, what's God doing in those circumstances? He's creating an opportunity He's not behind the evil, but he's working in it to make your roots go deeper. He's giving you an opportunity to say, God, I want to know what your love is in ways that I don't yet understand. So that even this can't move me, can't uproot me, can't shake me. Lord, give me a better understanding of your love. Rooted and grounded. And the idea of, of being grounded there is it's laying a foundation. In uh, the neighborhood where we live in Calder Crooks, they came in and, and built up a whole neighborhood just, just recently. There was, to the one side, there was houses, and to the other, there was nothing. And then a, a construction company came and, and began to go to work. But before the houses went up, they spent a long time doing what? Digging, leveling, and laying foundations. And, and it's, it's quite unseen, it's quite dull-looking, but it's so critical before you build on top of it. And in our lives as well, often in those hidden places, in, in the parts of our life that may be dull, may be uninteresting to others or even ourselves sometimes, but what God's doing in those valleys, in those hidden places, is He's, he's laying a foundation if we'll allow Him, if we'll look to Him. And He's wanting to help us understand the strength of our lives is His love. And if to you that, that rings a bell and you're saying, oh yeah, I need to be reminded of his love, I'd encourage you to follow that up on your own 
or in, in conversation and in prayer and, and just to invite God to reawaken what you've known of His love. Or if this idea of being rooted and grounded in His love seems like something you would aspire to but you don't really identify with, I would, I would just encourage you again to whatever it looks like for you to, to, to seek Jesus, to invite Him to make this real to you, to, to be in conversation with others who might be able to help you with that. Allow God to make that real to you. And above all, to, to pray that for one another. And, and the prayer goes on. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And there's something very interesting here because throughout these verses, as he's praying, he draws on language he's used earlier in Ephesians, and it's, it's the language of power, being strengthened with power. And he prays again, having power to grasp, and he talks about the dimensions uh, and God's love. And this power language, he uses it earlier to describe the event of the resurrection of Jesus when Christ was raised by the power of God. This is an incredible power he's calling on so that God would dwell in our hearts and so that we would know his love. It's the same language that he uses later in chapter 6 in a passage we often call the, the armor of God passage. And he, he talks about being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If we, if we connect the dots between these passages, what do we see? I think it's pointing to something very important for us to know, that our experience of God's presence is, is guaranteed, is, is assured, because of the resurrection power of Jesus in us and for us. But it's also opposed by the enemy. He doesn't want us to know the, the, the reality of God in our hearts, in our week, and in our work, and in our family. He wants us to, to feel somehow separated from that, and he's, he's opposing it. But the power of God has been provided to us in the armor of God so that we can actually experience him. And that's why Paul needs to, to pray this, at least one reason, because there's opposition spiritually from Satan, and yet God's power will overcome that. And it's, it's a prayer to know a love that surpasses knowledge, to know something that surpasses knowing. What does that even mean? He's trying to describe the indescribable. But he doesn't mean that the love of God is unknowable. He simply means it's, it's like trying to fit the Atlantic Ocean into your bathtub. You're going to get some of it in, but certainly by no means all of it. That you can truly know this love, even though it's far, far greater than we could imagine. There's, there's a children's book that reminds me of this, or this reminds me of. It's, it's got two bunnies in it. And it's, I think it's called, uh, Do You Know How Much I Love You? If, has anyone seen this? It's got nut brown hair is the, the lead figure in the book. And his mom's putting him to bed. And, and they're trading 
lines with each other. Do, do you know how much I love you? And I, I love you all the way to the hill. And mom says, oh, I love you all the way to the hill and back. And the little nut brown hair is like, oh, well, what am I going to say now? So he thinks of something farther. I love you all the way to the river. And she says, oh, I love you all the way to the river and to the mountains. And he's, he's stuck. And they go on and on. And in the end, she wins because she speaks last and he's fallen asleep. And in a way, that, that's what we get with God, that no matter how much our love for him grows, he always wins. His love is always so much more. And we know, as we're going to celebrate in a moment, where that love was most on display and is always available for us to tap into when we come back to the cross, when we see that God so loved you that he gave Jesus, that he didn't hold back his best, that he saw that we could not obey him, and Jesus said, that's okay, I will obey for you. God saw that you could not be perfect, and, and Jesus said, I will be perfect for you. And God saw you couldn't deal with your sin and your shame, and Jesus said, I will take their sin and I will take their shame. And he loved us so much that he took all of that and he suffered not only in his body unimaginably, but experiencing the Father in some sense turning away from him as justice fell on Jesus at the cross for our sake. He loves you and he welcomes you without any condition because Jesus has met every condition. That's the the scandal and the beauty and the attraction of the love of God. And it's as we know that love, it says here that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And what does that mean? Could it be that as we experience the love of God kneeling at the foot of the cross and just seeing Jesus and what he's done, that it's in, in his love filling us that we are filled with God himself. That we become a people whose lives are noticed by those around us. That something's different. That there's a power. There's an authority. There's a, there's a grace. There's a peace. That's unlike anything else. Filled with God. And this all brings him praise. And those are the final verses here, verse 20 and 21. Praise for his incredible power. God's able to answer not just this prayer, but whatever prayers we can imagine that are part of the advance of the kingdom of God. As God leads us and gives us faith in prayer, he can do even more. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. A wonderful declaration. And I wonder if we could just pause and pray together, inviting God to make all of this personal tonight and to prepare our hearts as we share from the Lord's table. Let's pray.
Lord, what each one of us needs, perhaps more than anything, is to grasp, to hold tightly and to see with the eyes of our heart, together with all of your people everywhere, how vast, how limitless, how unbounded is your love for us personally. We probably all know that we're unworthy of it. We pray tonight that we would see that that has made no difference to you. That we would see that it pleased you to give Jesus so that Jesus could bring us to you as those who have been made perfect in him his brothers and sisters, your adopted sons and daughters. We thank you, Father, for this love, and we pray that we may come back to it again and again, not only throughout the week ahead, but, Lord, throughout our lives. We may be like those mighty trees that are absolutely unmovable because we've been rooted in an amazing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.